Stay away from things that are deterring you away from those things of God. And then it goes on again. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on that path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. What's he saying in just simple terms? God's word is the direction of your life. Anything that contradicts God's word is going to destroy your life. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. We're going to jump right into God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, a very familiar portion of Scripture. And we want to uh, uh, just, just believe God. As we do, I, I just really, I, I got a message uh, early this morning. Uh, I was in prayer, and, and I got a message as I was uh, uh, praying, and, and uh, when I got here to the church, uh, there was a, a man of God that was a very, a very uh, strong force in his community. Uh, his name was Alvin Soule. He is a Native uh, American gentleman that God was doing great things through and with and family. A lot of people looked it up, up to him as kind of a father in the faith. Well, Alvin went home this morning, uh, went home to be with the Lord and to his reward. And even though that's a sad time, that is a, a frustrating time for some of us, uh, the reality is it's a joyous time for him. Uh, he's dancing. He's dancing in the Lord's presence. And so uh, we just want to take a, a moment this morning. I want to pray for the, the soul family. There's, there's lots of people that are affected by lots of people, some for the good, some for the bad. This man has been a powerful influence uh, in, in many lives, and, and just uh, we want to take a moment and just pray for the soul family, for that ministry that he was so uh, uh, diligently a part of. So would you join me in prayer? Father, Thank you this morning that you would be with them, comforting them. God, that you would just encourage and strengthen. And Lord, let the testimony of a life lived for you radiate throughout uh, the Navajo Nation, throughout the peoples that are affected directly or indirectly by the work that this man did. We thank you for it, and we give glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to uh, bring a message this morning, and I, I will try very uh, diligently not to keep you long. It's a message that I've, I've titled, Overcoming, Coming Over, and Coming Up. 
in our lives, we have this, we have this, this reality that is called reality. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. Say, Pastor, that's kind of a play on words. Not at all. How many have ever seen reality TV? That ain't reality, folks. How many have ever seen the, the church stand up and say, well, just, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory, everything's going to be fine, and be blessed, be filled, be gone? How many ever left not feeling too blessed, not feeling, feeling too filled, just feeling gone? The reality, ladies and gentlemen, is we have to come to a place of overcoming in our lives. We have to come to a place of overcoming. And the only way we come to that place called overcoming, I know the words keep going up there. I'm not there yet. So put it back to the beginning. There you go. The, the, re, the only way that we come to that place of overcoming is we have to choose to come over. Now, once again, I know that sounds like a play on words, but folks, I can, either, I can either wallow in the muck and the mire. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place not to wallow, but to look at, to deal with, to face that I can overcome. But then I have to rea- realize I can't change anything. God has to change everything. Can somebody say amen? amen. So in that, I come over to the winning side. And then you know what happens? Then and only then do I have the ability to come up to the promise that he has made. One of the greatest tragedies in life is people who've made mistakes are so afraid of failing again that they won't get up and they won't go on. It might be a career change. It might be a failed marriage. It might be some other relational scenario. Something that I have learned, ladies and gentlemen, is our world is strewn with the wreckage of unexecuted plans, half-finished resolutions, and unrealized dreams. But I serve a God of the impossible. Can somebody get excited in God's house? See, my Bible still tells me what is possible, impossible for me is possible with God. But what I have to do is I have to overcome where I am, come over to where I need to be, that then and only then can God take me to help me to come up where he wants me to be. Now, maybe what I have just described is you. Maybe you've tried and you've tried. Have you ever heard the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again? Well, folks, sometimes if at first they don't succeed, it's not time to try, try again. It's, try, it's time to do something different. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and sometimes you just don't feel like you can try again. So the question I want to ask you this morning as we get into this, what will it take to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? What will it take? Very familiar portion of scriptures, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Jesus shared, a man had two sons. A man had two sons. A man had two sons. You know, you can have the exact same family and have multiple children, 
Half of them turn out good, half of them turn out bad. Mom and dad did the same thing with all of them, but half of them turned out good and half of them turned out bad. I'm not going to ask you which half you are, but we'll leave that before God. I have so many moms and dads saying, what did I do wrong? Nothing. As long as you did, you raised them the best you knew how, you raised them in the things of God. Folks, when people get old enough, they've got to make their own decisions. Some make decisions on the right side. Some make decisions on the left side. And you know what you can do about it? Two things, diddly and squat. People do what people do, and there's nothing you can do about what people do. Write that one down and say it four times fast. Jesus said a man had two sons. The younger son, I always thought it was interesting when I read this passage, the younger son. I, I, I am amazed that when my children were growing up, now my children are, are all the way from, what's our youngest, honey, 28? Okay. Uh, our, our children spread from 28 to 42. I'm not sure where the 42-year-old came from, but she's in there somewhere. But you know what? When they were growing up, it almost didn't matter what I said. Dad just wasn't too smart. But you know how smart I became when they reached about 25? They got about 25, and I, pretty soon I became really smart. Any moms and dads relate to what I'm saying? So I always think of this passage when I think of the younger son. It doesn't say how young the younger son was, and then it talks about the older son. It doesn't say how old the older son was. But it does talk about a variance of maturity. Do you know that a lot of people grow old, they just don't ever grow up? If that's you, say, oh, me. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll leave that one set there too. The younger son came to the father and said, I want my share of the estate right now before you die. So his father said, okay, fine. He divided the wealth between the sons. A few days later, the younger son, who had got all of the inheritance, all that was his, he packed up and said, okay, dad, I'm out of here. And he moved to a distant land. Do you know why some of our uh, uh, kids or whoever moved distance away from you? Because if they know if they stay too close to you, it's too easy for God to get through from you to them. But if they're far enough away, they may not have to answer the phone. They may not have to answer the door because they don't think you will do anything. Am I making any sense today? He moved to a distant land, and then what did he do? Had no covering, had no wisdom, had nobody speaking into his life. And what's the Scripture say? He wasted all of his money. Now, I want you to underline that word wasted because that's pertinent to understand. There's, there's a lot of times that we think what we're doing is really wise and, and, and directed and stuff. After all, I'm in control of my own life. Folks, it wasn't until I gave my control of my life to Christ that I really had some control. It says he wasted everything on wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. Well, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the farmer sent him into the fields to do what? To deal with the pigs. Now, understand, the picture here of pigs 
It's not just he was working on a farm. He was dealing with the most wretched animals, some of the most wretched animals in all of Judaism. God said you don't mess with the pigs. He was starving, and he went to take care of the pigs. The picture is he got so low in his life that even the pigs were good to hang with. Have you ever been there? And then underline this next phrase in your notes, if you would, please. When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. I didn't come to my senses until in my mid-twenties when I gave my life to the Lord. When he came to his senses... He started talking to himself. He looked in the mirror and he said, you know, I'm a mess. Psychology 101 says the first way you overcome a problem is you have to admit you got a problem. You have to admit it's not somebody else. You have to admit it's not coming from something else. You got to look in the mirror and say, like David, when he fell with Bathsheba, bless you, I am the man. He came to his senses, and he said to himself, at home there's hired servants that got food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Why do you think he said, I sinned against heaven and it's sinned against you. Why do you think he said that? Now, I know this is an open forum for questions, so it's kind of rhetorical. So I will answer the question I have asked. He said, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He is acknowledging before his father, I know the right relationship of things. And dad, I might have done this before you, but I really did it before God. When you and I fall out of right relationship and right situation, First and foremost, just out of right relationship with God. Look at somebody and say, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. First and foremost, before we fall out of relationship with somebody else, somewhere or another, we've got an issue with God. Am I making sense? And he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm not worthy any longer to be called your son. Just make me as a hired servant. Well, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. Would you underline that in your notes? Filled with love and compassion. A few moments ago, I talked about people that have failed, people that have tried and tried and tried, and they said, what's the sense anymore? People that have fell fell in Fallen, thank you. I get my tongue over my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm talking about sometimes. Have fallen so far down they don't even think that God knows where they're at. Look what he says here. Filled with love and compassion. God never, never changes his love. Never changes his compassion. Never changes his mercy. Never changes his heart. Never change. He loves everyone. You know the Bible tells us the book of Ezekiel. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
None. God wants everybody to overcome, to come over, that he ultimately can say, come up. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to the sun, embraced the sun, kissed the sun. And then the sun immediately, because he's, de- he's dealing with the guilt, the condemnation that comes from where? The devil. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk after the flesh, after the spirit. You say, well, pastor, he was in the flesh. That's why he was with the pigs. Yes, but something happened. He came to his senses. And he realized my problem is not with people. My problem is not with the situation. My problem is with God. That's why he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He came to his senses and he realized, I've got to get right back. And so he comes and his father, and he meets his father, and his father falls on him, exudes all the love and compassion. But because he is overwhelmed with guilt, he has to utter these words, I am not worthy. Can I tell you how many people I have talked to as a pastor over my 35 years of ministry? They say, Pastor, no, I've done so much, I, I, I don't think God could forgive me. I'm not worthy. I can't get right with God. I, I, it just, I know if I do it today, tomorrow, I'm going to go right back. See, there's a world difference between coming to your senses and accepting forgiveness. There's a world difference between coming to your senses and accepting forgiveness. Why? Between the two things, there's this ugly fella called the devil that'll do everything he can do to beat you up and beat you down. He said, Father, I have sinned. And now I believe he recorded this and it's written down as he said this. But you know what I think happened? He said, Father, I have sinned against you, or heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called yours. And before he ever got the word son out, the father was shouting, bring the fed calf, bring the robe, bring the ring. My son who was dead is now alive, that was blind now sees, that was lost is now found. My son has returned. Not my servant, not my hireling, not my something that is not worthy. My son, can I tell you something? All God said is, will you come back? If you can overcome the circumstances, I can get you coming over to where I'm at and then ultimately I'll get you to come up where you need to be. Can somebody say amen? See, he said, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the father at the whole time had a different perspective. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. But God said, are you ready to overcome life's obstacles? Immediately, that little voice says, he doesn't know what I've done. That little voice says, he doesn't know where I've been. That little voice says, everything imaginable. But right where you're at, do me a favor. Tell that little voice, shut up. I serve a God of the impossible. I serve a God who makes the impossible possible. Can somebody say amen? There's many times that people feel they've ran the gauntlet and all that's left to do now is kind of just go through the flow. 
They say, well, whatever happens, happens. And then because religiosity has got them to a place of thinking, well, what is, is, they have slaughtered this idea that it must be fate. Many well-meaning Christians have joined what I call the mentality of a sect of people called fatalist. These are people that believe that there's nothing they can do to change their life. If it's supposed to change, God has to change it. Well, ultimately, we do have to do something. We have to come to the place that we believe we can overcome. Are you with me? You see, the Bible gives this understanding that what I choose to believe sets my fate. What I choose to believe sets my fate. Life is not just going to lift you up or throw you down. You have to make a decision which way you're going to go. And you know what God's Word says? God's portion for you and I is to live a victorious life. Does that make sense? Ephesians chapter 3 says, Exceeding abundantly above anything I could ask or think, He is able to do in me according to His Word, according to His plan, according to His promise. God operating in me is the same word that we get from that, that Scripture in Romans 8 that says we are more than conquerors. You see, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's life or life's necessities, greater happiness is to be ours, life abundant in comparison to what was lost or forfeited by sin if we'll just make a decision that we are overcomers in this life because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus gives us abundance. Jesus gives us abundance. What kind of abundance? The abundance of grace. His power at operation in our life. That talks about his provision for you and I. He gives us the abundance of peace. That abundance of peace is the fact that I have confidence, knowing if God's for me, who can be against me? And then he gives me the abundance of hope, the assurance that I can do all things. Now, I'm going to give you Proverbs chapter 4, and I'm going to break it down a little bit. It's on your screen, and I've got some of the letters in blue uh, which are some things that I want to emphasize. And I want you to walk through this with me. The Bible says, my child, pay attention. You know, whenever God's word tells me pay attention, you know what I do? I pay attention. There's lots of things in the Bible that God has written, and every piece of it is for you and I to pay attention. But when God specifically says, my child, pay attention, I put everything else aside and I know I'm about to read something that is going to transform my life. So look what it says here. Pay attention to what I say. Now I'm really getting focused. You know why? Not only does he say pay attention, he says, listen 
carefully to my words. Can I tell you something about this book? I'm, I, I was reading something by Francis Chan earlier, and I was reading something by uh, um, uh, Franklin Graham and, and some other uh, men of God, and I was, uh, they're all saying the same thing. The problem with the church of Jesus Christ today is they don't know God's word. The only God's word we know is what you hear on Sunday mornings. And it should not be that way. Which is why when problems arise, we don't know how to handle it. Because we don't know God's word. So God tells us, pay attention and listen carefully. So you know what I do? Immediately I say, okay, God's fixing to say something I better get a hold of. And then he begins to break it down. Keep your eyes. Pay attention. Listen carefully. And don't lose sight of what I'm about to say. Let me say it again. Pay attention. Listen carefully. And the third time, don't lose sight out of what I'm about to say. Did you ever notice in the Bible a lot of times when God spoke to Moses, he would say, Moses, Moses, Moses. There's many times you'll see him speaking to Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Any of y'all have talked to your kids and call them by their first name three, four times? We had 10 kids in my family. My mom would call one of us boys because we had seven boys. And she would say, Chuck, Mike, Mark, Pat, Jim, Tim. You knew when she was calling all the names out, somebody better be listening. Well, this is kind of what God is doing. He said, pay attention. Listen carefully and don't lose sight of it. Three times he emphasizes and then he gets into this understanding. I want what I'm about to say to penetrate deep into your heart because if you will, they will bring life and healing to your entire body. Sounds pretty important, doesn't it? He said it'll bring life and healing to your entire body. And then he says these next words, guard your heart. Well, how the heck do I guard my heart? This thing pumping inside? No, what he's talking about this morning, ladies and gentlemen, your heart is the place of your inclinations. Remember I talked about that younger person, that older person? There's certain things you can't do until you mature in life. You'll never get a grip on Okay, the heart is what sets the inclinations and the things that you yield yourself to, listen to me, to pay attention to, to listen carefully to, and to keep your sight on, that's the things that will usually set the inclination of your heart. The heart is also where you set your resolutions and the determination of your will. The Bible says that Jesus set his heart like flint to go to Jerusalem. Do you know why? That was the place he was going to from the very beginning. In that little cradle, in that manger, in the stable, he knew where he was going. 
as his life grew and he matured and he came to grips with the fact of who he was, the son of God, uh, you know, and you can sit here and debate, you know, that he knew it from the, from the manger or he knew it from the age of accountability or he knew, folks, th- th- that's not even an issue. He knew when he was talking to the people, I know what I'm supposed to do. And then over and over as he is speaking, he said, I came not to be served, I came to serve and to do what? Do the will of my Father. Jesus made a resolution and a determination, and he kept his eyes focused. So look at the Word of God once again. Pay attention, listen carefully, and don't lose focus. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Folks, our hearts can be swayed so easily if we lose focus of this Word. Avoid all perverse talk. Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it does matter. It matters greatly. This way, that way, the other way, it all matters. And then it says stay away from corrupt speech. Stay away from things that are deterring you away from the things of God. And then it goes on again. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on that path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. What's he saying in in just simple terms? God's word is the direction of your life. Anything that contradicts God's word is going to destroy your life. How are we doing so far? Overcoming, coming over, and coming up. There are many right in this room, who talk themselves out of living an abundant life. Because they talk themselves into fate or victimhood. Can I tell you something? When we come to God's house, there's three things that I want. I want God to fill this place with his presence. I want God to fill this place with his people. And I want God to fill this place with his praises. There's nothing more, nothing less, nothing else that I want when I come to the house of God. And can I tell you something? When I wake up in the morning and I go to prayer, when I go into a meeting, when I go into a, a, into a, a breakfast, a lunch, or a dinner, there's nothing more that I want than to have God's presence. I want to be around God's people, and I want to be singing the praises of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is because Jesus is the word that is the essence of my life. Why? It's his his truth. It's his way. It's his will. And the scripture tells us, search God because in that you will find life. You will find the ability to overcome every situation. Am I making sense today? Christ came to give life, and he came to give something more, something better And that is very simply life with an advantage. Because he overcame, I can overcome. Or as we have said very clearly in this entire series, because he won, I win. There are a lot of people that have had reasons to quit, reasons to not overcome. They get discouraged, they get frustrated. A person that uh, most of you will know because of history, 
And uh, depending on if history has already been revised or not, was a man by the name of John Paul Jones. John Paul, who, what his name was when he was born, was born in Scotland, and his name was John Paul. And at 22 years old, he began to, to captain a ship. His whole desire, his whole focus was to become the captain of a ship. Well, he captained a ship, and all of a sudden he had to discipline one of his crewmen, and the disciplinarian was, disciplination was so hard that the man died. So he was, he was accused of murdered, murder, but freed in, in 1773. Commanding another ship with people that were frustrated because of the last ship, the story said that they mutinied against him in which another crewman was killed. John Paul had the charges leveled against him, and he was set to go to prison or to the gallows. Well, John Paul said, well, I'm not, I'm not thinking prison or gallows are really good. So he fled. He fled to a place called America. And in America, he added a name to his name, and that name was Jones. So John Paul Jones who became the father of the American Navy in 1779. He ran away from something that seemed like it was a dead-end street. It was no hope. There was no promise. There was no future. He ran away because he said, I can't do anything doing the same thing over and over and over. I got to go do something else. And he came to America, and he went to the Battle of the North Sea. In the command of the ship, he went out fighting against one of the greatest of the British fighting vessels called the Serapis. His ship, the poor Richard, was desperately wounded, assaulted, severely damaged. It looked like he was going to lose and the ship was going to sink. The British commander sent envoys to John Paul Jones, saying, if you surrender, we'll let your ship and your crew live. John Paul said, okay, I've gone through this, I've gone through that, I've gone through this other thing. And you know, he stood up with a word that rang across the bow of the ship and has rung against the, across the seven seas ever since when he said these words, I have not yet begun to fight. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. But God says, you want to over, overcome? You got to make a decision that you have not yet begun to fight. And you know what happened to John Paul Jones? They captured the Seraphis, that great British warship. Now, some of you might not know that story, but I'll tell you another story of a man named Moses. A lot of you think you're in a mess. Well, folks, Moses literally was the first basket case. Some of you will get that when you go home today. Pharaoh had commanded all of the males born to the Israelis, of the Jews, to be killed because they were getting too many guys, and they thought he would, they would overthrow Egypt. And so he commanded all the males to be killed. When they were born, 
Moses' mother, knowing that Moses was something different, put him in a basket, set him down the Nile River, and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him and makes him her own. The first thing that happened is Moses' mother said, I'm not going to let this be the end of his life. I'm going to let what they call the end to be just the beginning. So what happened is they find Moses. They raise Moses in Pharaoh's household. He becomes one of Pharaoh's children, one of his sons, in the lineage to take over Egypt. But God begins moving upon Moses, and he realizes, I'm not one of them. I'm one of those people out there making bricks. And so he goes out and tries to defend them, tries to stand up for them. Can I tell you something? When you stand up for right, it will cost you. He stood up for right, and inadvertently, he killed the Egyptian that was coming against the Jews. Immediately, a death sentence was put on Moses, and you know what he did? He ran off so he could regroup. Can I tell you something? I've said this before in church. When you have a setback, it is sometimes time for you to step back, to get your senses together that you can prepare for your comeback. And Moses stepped back into the wilderness. Forty years he stepped back until something happened. God began speaking. Now, the Bible talks about the burning bush. And when I read the scripture, it sounds to me like Moses had went by this burning bush a few different times. But this time, the Bible says he decided to turn aside to see. Let's see what that, maybe he came to his senses. The bushes just don't normally burn like that. Sometimes we think we got it all figured out, folks. Nah, I've been doing this, like I said, almost 35 years pastoring, and I ain't got a clue. I tell people all the time, they say, oh, pastor, you know, if you do this, and I, I just tell them, when you get this figured out, let me know. It should be a whole lot help, more helpful. He decided to turn aside to see this great sight, and God speaks to him. And we know the story, and all of a sudden, Moses is now back in Egypt, standing before the very man that said he was going to die. And God said, I'm going with you. Don't worry about it. Can I tell you, you might have failed in everything you can imagine, but we serve the God of the impossible. And he said, if you'll... Come over to me. I'll help you overcome. Well, Moses did, and we know the story. God took every situation, every circumstance, and turned it around for the good. There is always a good time to come over to the life that God has planned. And I can promise you today might be that day. Now, I want to go back in your notes. I want to go back to that statement that I made at the very beginning. It's time to come over to the reality of reality. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? It means life is real. Let's get on with it. Stuff happens in life, folks. Things happen. Situations happen. 
let's deal with it, and let's do something about it. People over the years, they've said, Pastor, you know, I can't pretend like something didn't happen. I can't just forget, let alone forgive. It's not that easy. Let me share something with you folks. God's word never implies, nor God does he expect you and I to have blind faith. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to step on some toes. God never says, just forget and move on. We have to overcome. And the first place we overcome is in us. In us. And there's things that you'll never forget. And so if we don't deal with that reality, that I may, I may remember this until I go home, I'll never be able to overcome. Therefore, I'll never be able to come over to the winning side. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the prodigal son, he didn't pretend like it didn't happen. He said, I've sinned before heaven. And I've sinned before you, Father. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. But look at me. God has a different plan. All God wants you to do is come over to the winning side. You see, when you realize that reality is reality, that's your first clue to being able to overcome. This is it. This is what life is. The old adage is, you know, you live life and then you die. Next. You have to face life. You have to deal with life. You've got to put yourself into life. The prodigal son, he faced up to what he did. He faced up to where he was. He faced up to the circumstances surrounding. He literally declared to the father, God, it ain't about me. It's about you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But through Jesus Christ, you made me worthy. Can somebody say amen? amen. Folks, having peace does not mean there be no problems. Forgiveness isn't pretending nothing happened. Forgiveness isn't pretending that what happened didn't hurt. Forgiveness isn't forgetting about it completely. Forgiveness isn't going back and starting over as if it never has been. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness and restoration, it's on the screen, is all about refusing to let anything that was permanently destroy you, someone, or something else that is. This is what the Bible calls forgiveness. Don't you wish you could just erase everything? Don't you wish you could just... Pretend it didn't happen. I know people just say, you know, Pastor, you just got to suck it up and move on. Give me chapter and verse. God says we forgive and we let God. But the ultimate reality is God says you got to face it. You got to deal with it. And this is what we do. There was a, a woman that was a was driving her car, and all of a sudden she came to a, a place where she needed to make a turn. And so she threw her hand out and, and realized that it wasn't the right signal, and she threw her hand in another way, and 
realized that wasn't a signal. Then she stuck her hand out the window and started doing like this. Well, all of a sudden, the guy behind her don't have a clue what she's doing, and he rear ends her. Well, she is beside herself. The man gets out and said, woman, what are you doing? And the lady said, I gave signal to what I was doing. And the man said, you gave signal. You, you, you stuck your arm out one way, and then you stuck your arm out another way, and then all of a sudden you started doing circles. Well, what is all that? And she said, well, I realized that the one way wasn't the right way, and the other way wasn't the right way, and then when the circles were happening, I was erasing everything to tell everybody I made a mistake. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we could just do that, folks? There is a place for saying, I'm sorry. And there is a place for assuring someone else that all is forgiven. But the resolve must be more than simple words. It must be in the place of rebuilding and restoring what once was. And that happens in you and I. We have to overcome if we're ever able to come over. The amazing thing about God is he gives us something for that. It's called grace. His grace is enough. And he said, I can make what now is as if it never has been. Let me wrap this up this morning. You see, overcoming, we have to make a decision to come over. And when we do, it is then that we can come up to the decision of living a life that says, God, I'm going to trust you. Today, as every day, has to be the first day of victory. You're struggling. You're dealing with stuff. You're going through things. God says, you want to overcome? You got to come to your senses and realize you can't do it. And then come over to what I want to do. Coming over to what he wants to do is not easy. Coming over to what he wants to do will cost because it's never going to happen the way that we think it should happen. Am I making any sense? But God said, if you will come over and let me do it, let me take care of it, let me help you by showing you what to do, what is God basically saying? If you will trust in me with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, but acknowledge me in everything, I will make your life manageable. I will make your life manageable because I'm the God of the impossible. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. 
from Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center. You're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.